In this episode, we're talking about happiness as the normal condition of man from Chapter 9 of Leonard Peikoff's book, Objectivism, the Philosophy of Ayn Rand. Stay tuned. All right, so let's start out with a summary. So we begin with a discussion of pleasure and that pleasure comes from achieving values, that on the physical level, these values are automatically pro-life, though they're not necessarily aligned with the long-range consequences of an action. But for chosen values, the barometer is our emotions, broadly joy and suffering. And so happiness then is for objectivism a fundamental and enduring form of joy that comes from the achievement of our values. But our chosen values aren't automatically pro-life. And so as a result, we can actually gain temporary pleasure of a sort from doing things that undermine our lives. And that, Leonard argues, can't produce happiness. Only rational, consistently pro-life values can lead to happiness. So he says, if he holds irrational values, however, he may attain a particular out-of-context goal or goals, but he cannot achieve his values because irrational values involving as they do inbuilt contradictions and chronic clashes with reality cannot be achieved. The irrational man is inevitably tortured. To him, failure means suffering, and so does success. Success of his kind at blanking out reality is a threat. Attainment brings him anxiety. Desire is guilt. Self-esteem is self-loathing. Pleasure is laced with hangover. Joy is overcome by pain. Whatever the name of such a state, it is not happiness. Happiness, then we get, is a state of non-contradictory joy. We then get a discussion of a topic we've touched on in the past, but it's motivation versus, uh, by love versus motivation by fear. And we get the idea that the irrational person isn't moved by positives, that even when they pursue things, they're not on a quest for values. They're trying to avoid negatives. They're motivated not by love, not by love of values, but by fear, the desire to escape disvalues. And so for objectivism, happiness is not lessening unhappiness, guilt, depression, anxiety. It's not erasing those. It's achieving a positive reason, purpose, self-esteem, money, friendship, romance. And so then we get a discussion about the, this deep relationship between virtue and happiness. So it's that self-preservation and happiness are not separate issues There are two aspects of a single achievement, the internal and external consequences of successful living, of self-preservation. And so then from the objectivist perspective, virtue does ensure happiness in the sense of what Leonard calls metaphysical pleasure, because it ensures the achievement of philosophic values, reason, purpose, and self-esteem. It ensures that you have the right relationship with reality. And so, like, even if you're struggling, you're confident, you're serene, you're at peace. And so you could put it in short as virtue guarantees joy in being alive. So this is quoting Leonard. 
Metaphysical pleasure does not erase the pains incident to daily life, but by providing a positively toned context for them, it does blunt them. In the same manner, it intensifies one's daily pleasures. Though sometimes we get even virtue isn't enough to have even this kind of metaphysical pleasure or joy in living, that there are times when the pursuit of values is impossible. And in those cases, you won't be happy. And we get kind of a discussion of what some of that is. And, you know, if you're in chronic pain or you lose a, you know, longtime spouse who's, you know, crucial to your happiness, your existence as a valuer is impossible to you. But absent that struggle per se, the fact that you haven't achieved, let's say, business success or something like that, um, you can achieve the philosophic values that happiness depends on and that metaphysical pleasure consists in. This view gets contrasted then with uh, the intrinsicist and subjectivist views and that it's the intrinsicist is skeptical of joy and that it intrinsicism teaches us to adore pain as a sign of virtue. And so we get, you know, the symbol of that Jesus on a cross and that then hedonism is a false alternative. It's right that pleasure is a value, but because it has no objective standard of pleasure, it amounts to whim worship. In essence, it's circular. It's that value is that, or rather it tells you to value that which you already happen to value. We get then a discussion of the benevolent universe premise, and that it's that happiness properly understood is not only possible, but it's normal. It's what you should expect if you're living a moral life. And so objectivism calls this the benevolent universe premise, not because the universe cares about you, but it's that the universe is auspicious to human life, that if you conform to it, if you conform to the metaphysically given, to put it in the terms we've talked about since chapter one, then you can expect to achieve your goals and thus to attain happiness. So here's the quote from Leonard. Like any conscious creature, a man on the benevolent universe premise is well acquainted with pain. His insignia, however, is his refusal to take pain seriously, his refusal to grant it metaphysical significance. To him, pleasure is a revelation of reality, the reality where life is possible. But pain is merely a stimulus to corrective action, and the question such and to the question such action presupposes. The question is not what's the use, but what can I do? And it's that this isn't optimism if we're talking about blind optimism. It's not the idea that everything happens for the best and there's no suffering or evil. It's realism, including a recognition that happiness is possible if you conform to reality. And so the quote from Ayn Rand here is, we do not think that tragedy is our natural fate, and we do not live in chronic dread of disaster. We do not expect disaster until we have specific reason to expect it. And when we encounter it, we are free to fight it. It is not happiness, but suffering that we consider unnatural. So the first question I want to examine is, does happiness, or rather, does philosophy have anything to say about happiness? And the reason I raise this as a question is because happiness today is largely considered a psychological question and that 
in order to have a view of happiness, to be scientific about happiness is really to be rooted in, quote, data. And this is mostly a um, part of the realm of happiness studies. And there's a bunch of these different kind of studies and ways of gauging happiness. I'm just going to give one example because I think it illustrates why I think this is not the right way to think about happiness, though I'm not going to go so far as to say that it has no value. Um, so this is the Oxford happiness questionnaire. And basically, people are supposed to take this and rate themselves one through six, where six is strongly agree versus a one that strongly disagree. And as I read out these different statements, um, ask yourself this question. How do you think Rourke would answer? And how do you think Keating would answer? And I'll come back to that at the end. So I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. The point is not to like take them down, but just to get the general sense of the kinds of things that one is, that is being uh, assessed in terms of gauging whether a person is happy. One, I don't feel particularly pleased with the way I am. Two, I'm intensely interested in other people. Three, I feel that life is very rewarding. Four, I have very warm feelings towards almost everyone. Five, I rarely wake up feeling rested. Six, I'm not particularly optimistic about the future. Seven, I find most things amusing. Eight, I'm always committed and involved. Nine, life is good. Ten, I do not think that the world is a good place. 11, I laugh a lot. 12, I am well satisfied about everything in my life. 13, I don't think I look attractive. 14, there is a gap between what I would like to do and what I have done. 15, I am very happy. 16, I find beauty in some things. 17, I always have a cheerful effect on others. 18, I can fit in and find time for everything I want to. 19, I feel that I'm not especially in control of my life. 20, I feel able to take anything on. 21, I'm f I feel fully mentally alert. 22, I often experience joy and elation. 23, I don't find it easy to make decisions. 24, I don't have a particular sense of meaning and purpose in my life. 25, I feel I have a great deal of energy. 26, I usually have a good influence on events. 27, I don't have fun with other people. 28, I don't feel particularly healthy. 29, I don't have particularly happy memories of the past. So again, I don't want to be too dismissive because I think there's probably fruitful things to learn from this sort of thing. But what I want to get across is it's not like, oh man, like these guys are doing astronomy and philosophers are doing astrology. Like this should strike you or I'll just speak for myself. When I read these, my reaction is, well, a lot of this is irrelevant to happiness. Some of it is probably negatively correlated to genuine happiness. Um, some of it, I think, if you understand the way in which people, which bad people rationalize their immorality and their pseudo self-esteem, then you'd think this is a hopeless way to try to gauge and understand happiness trying to identify what will make you happy through happiness studies. It's like, I think, trying to identify how to think clearly by polling people and about how they happen to think and asking them how confident they are in their conclusions. 
I, I, I think that it's that far from how you can actually get at the right path to happiness. And the, and I think it's any attempt to study happiness, it really depends on certain philosophic assumptions about what happiness is and how to measure it. For example, is happiness the avoidance of pain? Is happiness a series of jolts of positive emotion? Um, like what Peter Keating feels when he gets somebody's approval. Um, or if you just try to avoid making assumptions and just make it like, hey, are you happy? Which is what some of these uh, kind of reports or foundations of happiness study do. Um, then you're depending on philosophic assumptions and honestly the ability to introspect of the people you're studying rather than kind of imposing them yourself. But if you look at the Oxford one, notice that there's a very, there's very much a, um, that you are happy to the extent that like you're thrilled to be around people and people are thrilled to be around you. And you can think, all right, well, there's a positive sense in that, which is, yeah, like Rourke would have a couple of friends that they liked being around each other. Um, but, you know, Keating loved being around lots of different people and lots of people liked being around him, whereas Rourke made people, many people feel uneasy and many people bored him. And certainly compared to the joy that he took in his work, like it's incomparable. And so those assumptions are getting embedded here. And it's only philosophy that can question those assumptions that can really say, well, no, what is happiness? Um, and so you could think that, yeah, maybe there's a lot we could learn psychologically by studying happiness, but it presupposes a philosophic analysis of happiness and that you can't escape that. This is, I think, a, a really good example of the way in which philosophy is inescapable, even when people are explicitly trying to get away from ideological presuppositions. It's that you can't take a philosophic concept like happiness and strip it of philosophy. Like it's, it cannot be done. So it's that philosophy is crucial to understanding what happiness is and isn't. And if you hold the view that happiness is the emotion that proceeds from the achievement of values, of a code of non-contradictory values, then you need philosophy in order to formulate what is an achievable ideal, what fits, what goals fit together harmoniously so that you can achieve not just some particular value, but a whole code that that can't be um, looking at what goals people happen to pursue and trying to, you know, figure out, uh, well, this one's in isolation seems to lead happiness or this kind of bunch of them. No, it's an act of abstraction and it requires the kind of analysis we've gone through in terms of values and virtues and that ultimately the way objectivism thinks about it is you can't just kind of like, sit in an armchair and think, well, that seems pretty fun and this seems pretty good. It's that uh, the objectivist approach is what is the right relationship between an individual and reality that allows them to flourish in reality? What is the right relationship between existence and consciousness that is the precondition for thriving in existence? And that that is going to allows you to formulate a whole way of life. And it's a way of life um, that it's unconventional. And so you're not going to get that 
isolated in these kinds of studies. So um, I think that captures the main point of that far from being unscientific, I think philosophy is the precondition for any further insights that psychology can offer into happiness. And certainly uh, objectivism doesn't say that philosophy has the last word on happiness um, any more than it has the last word on like how to you know achieve what you want in your career but what it gives you is the precondition or the foundation for being able to do uh, that later work and so I think understanding the understanding happiness from a philosophic perspective is indispensable turning next to um, a topic that I like to think of as the richness of happiness. So I think unfortunately happiness has been trivialized and it's been trivialized both by its supporters and its attackers. So, and I think the root is that both of them have accepted a subjectivist conception of happiness. So I think virtually everybody uh, today, or at least many, many people would say like no one can no one can tell you what will make you happy and i mean there's obviously a truth to that in the sense of nobody can choose your specific values but if it's real but it's really taken as that if you say it makes you happy then who is anybody else to question it that happiness is a totally subjective thing and again this is something that i think is held by both the um people who endorse that and people who oppose happiness so it's you get two schools you get the whim worshiping type who say well look happiness is whatever you want and so if uh and so you should basically do whatever you want and then there's people who say like there's nothing noble and deep in that and if you actually look at the people who try to live that way they it leads to misery so to hell with happiness as a goal and so uh i think this is kind of what's behind a like Jordan Peterson has equated happiness with cotton candy. And it's, no, we're not supposed to strive for that. We're supposed to strive for something better than happiness, more noble than happiness, more secure and meaningful than happiness. On the other hand, or from the objectivist way of approaching this, if you recognize that happiness requires the achievement of a whole code of values, that it requires thought, long-range effort that it requires enormous virtue and enor- and involves our deepest values then you have a totally different conception of happiness and one aspect of this that i want to point out is um it's a completely different image of what a happy person looks like like it's not the free-spirited hippie or you know the self-help speaker who is just grinning and talking about how awesome you are and how awesome he is. And the way I like to put it is that happiness is often quiet. And when I think about the people I've seen who might have reason to think are genuinely happy, the kind of characteristics that that leap out are things like serenity, authenticity, like a real being comfortable in their own skin and that they're the same in any setting or at least in most uh settings and often enthusiasm um 
but it's often enthusiasm for the things that they deeply care about. So they're not walking around like the life of the party at all moments, but when it's something that they're fascinated by, interested in, or curious about, they come alive. An interesting one is generosity. And I mean, particularly in non-monetary ways, and I definitely don't mean in an altruistic way, um, but it's that they're overflowing with a sense of abundance. And so like it's the miserable people who are kind of looking to get every dime they can out of somebody or like out of every situation. And the people are generally genuinely happy. There's so much value achievement going on in their lives and so much um, being at peace with themselves in the world that I think generosity just kind of flows from it naturally. Um, They're often blunt and that's because there's no breach between what they think and what they say. No hint of kind of manipulation or putting it through the little computer that's trying to figure out, man, how's this going to play out? Is this going to, you know, like hurt my job prospects? Is this going to make me unpopular? It's just they're so focused on articulating their understanding of reality as clearly as possible that it comes across as just very straightforward and blunt. Um, There's a kind of universal ambitiousness that, and by universal, I mean, it's, they have a huge ambitiousness for themselves and they regard it as obvious that like, no matter what you're doing and how high your goals are, um, why aren't you aiming at more? There's just this kind of sense that the universe is open to human achievement and, and therefore they, um, they, they don't have a narrow view of what's possible. And then finally, and again, this is not exhaustive, but I'm trying to paint a certain kind of picture here that is very different from the conventional one. And I'm also trying to highlight aspects that I don't think are emphasized necessarily in Ayn Rand's novels. Though, of course, those are, I think, the most clearly drawn pictures uh, of happiness. Um, But the final one is, I'll say, singular and unconventional. That is, um, happy people are, they're reflective on life and what they want from it. And sometimes it's in a fully philosophic way, but sometimes it's not. Um, There is a documentary by the musician Bill Weathers, and this is where it really jumped out at me. Like, he came across as genuinely happy, and part of it was, here was a guy who became, like, a super sensation in music and walked away from it all, not out of, like, some deep-seated, you know, frustration or whatever, but it's not what he wanted out of life. It's not what he wanted to do. And he had a real view of what he wanted from life. And it was philosophic in the sense it was self-reflective and asking deep questions, but it wasn't formerly philosophic. It wasn't like he had a full abstract moral code worked out. Um, but it's that kind of, but it's that kind of um, having your own firsthand conception of what you think is true and what you think is right and then going after it that make gives people a strong sense of personality and makes them incredibly distinctive and so i think that that radiates out of happy people is they really have uh, a perspective on what their life is about and what they want it to be about and um that probably more than any of the others i think is a real it's a quality that nobody ever talks about and yet is 
crucial to happiness and totally excludes the kind of whim worshiping mentality that's completely conventional and even vulgar in the kind of values that it's after and totally non-reflective now i said that um I, I these conclusions are kind of drawn from people i have reason to think are happy one of the things that uh should be clear is that happiness is extremely personal i remember um a year or two ago uh dave rubin did interviews with a bunch of objectivists on the on issues related to happiness and the first question he asked a few of them was are you happy and i mean in the face of it like it's a completely legitimate question if you're going to talk about happiness like like let's find out are you happy it's like if somebody's going to tell you hey here's how to lose weight or become rich like all right are you in good shape and are you successful um but i was really shocked by the question and i mean if he had asked me i think i would have been a little taken aback and said something essentially like whoa dave like you just asked me about like how's my relationship with my boss how's my sex life how's my mental health how's my moral character like happiness is a reflection of your values and your and your the course on which you're living to pursue them it goes to the deepest things about you and so like literally there's no more personal question you can ask somebody than are you happy and in that sense it's not even really a good question because um like even if i said yes like who should believe me if you're trying to be a charlatan and put over kind of like here's my snake oil for happiness yeah of course you're gonna say oh yeah i'm happy um but like what do you mean by that and why should i trust you and are you even a good introspector and um one phenomenon that is really common is that people can even think if they're not reflective about the meaning of happiness is they can be torn by anxiety and not even like notice it uh so it's um i have this recollection i don't even remember it maybe it was on his podcast but leonard peikoff was once asked if he was happy and basically he said it's like the people who you know the, the people who really know me personally like you know they're the ones who should judge uh or who can judge i'm probably butchering that but it was really recognizing that it's not something you can can or would want to talk about publicly um i think the the what i'd say to people who are asking it in a kind of genuine way which is like all right you're advocating a whole philosophy and telling me how to live like are, is it working for you i think a thing that that captures what they're asking in a way that um is not so personal is something like to the extent i've used these ideas i've benefited and to the extent i've departed from them i haven't so i think there's things to say about that um but what i'm just stressing here is that it's if you take happiness seriously it's a much more significant question to ask if somebody is happy and that judging if somebody else is happy is hard even if you know them very well let alone uh, a stranger or somebody you see on youtube so let's go into happiness versus hedonism so hedonism we talked a little bit about this in the summary with leonard it's the idea that our goals should be pleasure 
and sometimes it's thought of in just purely physical pleasure and like well yeah should i just gather up as much pleasure as possible one thing that we'll talk more about when we get to sex in the next section is that for objectivism if and i i think this is more widespread than objectivism that um physical pleasure per se is fine but it's actually not like that great like if you really try to isolate just the physical sensations of something that pleasure for a human being um, involves and mostly involves a spiritual dimension and um, there's a real recognition of this so even more sophisticated hedonists will talk about kind of higher and like spiritual pleasures and or they'll talk about more spiritual emotional pleasures and often say okay these are higher pleasures and you like our, if our goal is pleasure it's mainly about like learning and art and friendship and like that's really what we should be concerned with but as we talked about in the summary for objectivism this amounts to making happiness the standard of value rather than the purpose and to get why Rand rejects that you have to go back to her view of emotions so emotions for objectivism are based on our values and for objectivism the whole question of ethics is what should I value? And so if you have an answer that says um, you should value what makes you happy, what that amounts to is value whatever you happen to already value. And it's precisely um, that that doesn't work, that our values are not necessarily rational. They're, they don't necessarily fit together. They're not necessarily even achievable. Um, that's why we need ethics. And so we need something external to our emotional states in order to define what our value should be. And that's kind of the whole enterprise of the objectivist ethics, right? We need some way to assess, like, what are the right values? And then happiness comes from pursuing them. And I want to contrast then, so that's hedonism. There's another thing, uh, a, a popular approach that I'm going to call stoicism, but I don't mean it necessarily in the um, kind of rigorous philosophic sense, but in the sense in which it's kind of been popularized in the culture. And it's popular, I think, today to hear happiness is really a matter of getting rid of desires. It's that your desires are what lead to frustration, and happiness is really about avoiding frustration, avoiding other negatives. So here's uh, a, a really widely respected and really interesting guy, um, Naval, who says in his book on success and happiness, I believe happiness is really a default state. Happiness is there when you remove the sense of something missing in your life. Happiness is about the absence of desire, especially the absence of external things. Happiness to me is mainly not suffering, not desiring, not thinking too much about the future or the past, really embracing the present moment and the reality of what is and the way it is. Now, there's something plausible about that. I mean, first of all, it's just true that if you're like severely anxious or depressed, like getting rid of that, like that's really good. Like that will get you a long way towards happiness. Um, and it's also true that much of anxiety and depression is in one way or another tied to people's aspirations and their, their fears about not getting what they want or losing what they have. And to add to the plausibility, I also think it's true that 
much of what people think will make them happy won't, or when they get it, they find doesn't make them happy. So here's what uh, another popularizer of Stoicism, Ryan Holiday, says. He says, the key to happiness, to success, to power, any of these things is not is not to want them really bad. It's not putting what you're after on a pedestal. The key to happiness and success is realizing that at a granular level that the things most people desire actually suck. That being rich isn't that great. That getting lots of attention is a chore. That being in love is also a lot of work. That the prettiest view in the world still has mosquitoes or a biting chill or it's hot as hell. So that's kind of giving it those cluster of views a lot of plausibility but um why does objectivism then reject that and i think ultimately the the way to get at it is seeing it through the lens of the mind-body integration which has been a running theme in opar so first it's that we actually have biological needs in order to live um like poverty is bad for you like even if you pretend to want nothing you need things there's things that will like actually advance your life and that will actually hold you back and so even if you just think at the most physical level it doesn't matter if you desire anything if you don't have any money if you don't have any um health care medicines if you don't have any you know like plumbing or protection from the elements like you will suffer and then second it's that material values and this is the most important point it's that material values uh they have spiritual meaning and they're only valuable in a spiritual context and so it's yeah well money per se won't buy you happiness but money earned as part of living a moral productive life does add to happiness and we'll have a lot more to say about this when we discuss sex but what i'm stressing here is that achieving your desires if they are rational if they're part of a moral way of life then they aren't empty they don't suck they are contrary to ryan holiday that great um and by contrast the and this is the third point and the final point that i raise yeah a lot of the things people pursue in order to make themselves happy they aren't actually real positives so this idea that like man you know desiring money fame sex that's chasing after a positive and that's empty in the end and so um we should just not desire these things we shouldn't go after them we shouldn't be focused on positives it's really happiness is a negative for objectivism desiring those things outside of a moral context is really a form of motivation by fear it's these things are escapes or the and the kind of like desire and mentally projecting oh my life will be okay when i achieve these external things they're really forms of escape from fear and guilt and unhappiness they're not genuine values so to kind of summarize this whole perspective um the objectivism's view is look you have actual needs your life has actual requirements and like you know you can try to hypnotize yourself into not wanting them um but you will suffer for it and then it's if you pursue them but you pursue them rationally in the context of deep philosophic values and through the exercise of rational virtues then it's simply 
BS that you won't be happier, that they're empty or kind of unfulfilling. It's when you have the union of mind and body, then the achievement of values is deeply, almost indescribably joyful. So that's it for this video. And next time we will turn to the topic of sex as metaphysical and wrap up our discussion of happiness and thereby wrap up our discussion of ethics and move on to politics. Talk then. In the meantime, be sure to like this video, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and go to donswriting.com and sign up for the newsletter. Talk next time.